You're listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast, a program dedicated to advocating for a biblical worldview by encouraging Christian growth and ministry from a biblical perspective. Hello and welcome to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. Today, Mike, we are discussing a relatively controversial topic, and that is separation, specifically ecclesiastical separation. Down through the years, we, and by we I mean the GARBC, the regular Baptist church, has been known as a separatist association. Uh, separatism standing in opposition to ecumenism, which was the the impulse toward uh, just let's, let's have a lot of inclusivism, let's have all church groups sort of come together, uh, disregard doctrinal distinctives, and that way we can build unity and the church can be one. Uh, we always rejected that approach and have instead claimed and, and championed the mantle of separatism. But that gets dicey sometimes, and not all groups see eye to eye on that. So we thought we'd just take this podcast and talk a little bit about ecclesiastical separation, what it is, why we hold it, uh, maybe bring some nuance to the discussion where at other times it's been presented in ways that weren't super helpful. So let's just start out real quickly by defining our terms. What, what, what do we mean when we as regular Baptists talk about separation? Sure. And it's important as we talk about this that we have that working definition. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ask me, as if I was your pastor and you were to ask me, Pastor, what does it mean to practice separation? What does Mm -hmm. it mean to be a separatist? And it's important that we discuss this in a way that that conveys joy, that that we're still joyful in Christ, that we're not grumpy when we talk about this, and and that the word separatist is not a bad word, and that people understand we're basing this on what we read in Scripture. If, If you were to ask me, in a summarized way, how do you define separation? It simply is this, for the glory of God and for the purpose of discipleship to see people become more like Christ, we choose, based upon biblical doctrine, to limit our fellowship with certain individuals mm-hmm. or groups. It's simply that. Right. That we're not saying they're not Christians. We're not saying they don't love the Lord. We're not saying that they're the district manager of the Antichrist <laughs> or anything like that. We're, we're simply choosing to limit our fellowship. And we believe separation is biblical. And I would argue that every faithful church and believer practices it in some form. That's right. If, if you're faithful to the gospel, there is some form of biblical separation that you're practicing. And I would base it on this. I know several passages are used. Famously, usually the Second Corinthians 6 passage is used. That's not a bad passage. I think it's plausible to use that. But I think the key text is Romans 16, verse 17, where Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine, which means teaching, Mm -hmm. that you have been taught, and then these two words, avoid them. So that's where I would, would say is the summarized version of separation. Sure. And and you see separation or at least in some degree coming out throughout the New Testament. Uh, the apostles were not shy about calling out false teachers and uh, and and separating from them, calling churches to separate mm-hmm. from them, uh, warning them against being infected mm-hmm. with false teaching. Right. And, and I'm glad you emphasized that in, in the verse, that the basis is doctrinal. Right. Um, Correct. That's important to note. Ernest Pickering in 
in the the book that he wrote, Biblical Separation, which is, uh, in my opinion, the classic text on separation, makes the point that, that theologically, our understanding of separation is tied to an understanding of God's holiness. Mm-hmm. In fact, holiness means separation. Right. To be holy is to Correct. be separate or set apart. Right. God's character is holy. It is pure. He is separate right. from all things sinful. We are called to be holy as I am holy, says the right. Lord. And so, therefore, you have the conclusion, a call for biblical separation. Right. Uh, just as God is not soiled by apostasy, so also we are to keep ourselves pure from apostasy, mm-hmm. and the mechanism by which that takes place is biblical separation. Right. Yeah, right. very good. And the GRBC exists because of right. biblical separation. We would not exist if if separation was not in the Bible. That's right. Historically, most of you know this, but we came out of a group that went apostate. And we're mm-hmm. not talking just preferential things, stylistic things, methodological things. They point blank were embracing false doctrine. That's right. And they tried to change it from within the Northern Baptist Convention back in the day. And it wasn't happening. So they separated, came out from among them and formed the GRBC way back in the early 30s. So we exist because of that. And yeah. and they base that not upon their feelings or some sort of subje- subjective emotional response. It was based upon what they clearly saw in the Word of God, that if anyone preaches another gospel, which was happening, denying the supernatural aspect of Scripture, denying the bodily resurrection, denying the virgin birth, well then... The deity of Christ, the, the substitutionary... I mean, I mean, basic stuff. Right, that we're, you have to believe <laughs> to be a Christian. Yeah, we're not in the theological weeds right. on these kind of things, yeah. arguing over trichotomy or dichotomy. Exactly. You, you know, you're you're right. talking about fundamentals of the Christian faith Correct. that Correct. the Northern Baptist Convention and was denying. Scripture teaches that person is to be anathema. They're to be accursed. So that is as clear as day. Now, what we're going to talk about a little bit more are some of the practical implications that are not so clear and that throughout the decades, Christians have had some disagreements and debates about. And I believe biblical wisdom gives us guidance to where we could talk about this and apply this in a thoughtful, God-honoring, God-glorifying, wise way that pleases God. That's right. And that, and that's the goal, obviously, with everything. Mm-hmm. Do all Amen. to the glory of God. Amen. That's why the church exists. That's why we exist. Amen. That's what we're called to do every day, not just in church ministry, but right. with everything that we do in thought, word, or deed. And, uh, and, and yeah, I would subordinate biblical separation to glorifying God. That's right. Um, not okay. just uh, out of some, you know, attempt to, to, uh, prove how pure we are or how great we are or to, to, to go out and spin our theological wheels. It, it really does get to the heart of, am I following God and am I worshiping God as he desires to be worshiped? Yeah. So if we want to flesh out what biblical separation looks like, there are several distinctions we should probably draw, uh, first of all, there is a distinction between ecclesiastical and personal separation. And, and th- those terms are used differently. Ecclesiastical separation being on an institutional or an organizational level mm-hmm. that uh, our churches make the decision not to fellowship with, associate with those who have false doctrine, whereas usually personal separation is, is used to refer to the pursuit of holiness, right? right? And, right. and uh, setting ourselves apart from worldly standards, worldly pursuits, things of that nature. Correct. 
And we're, we're not going to take up much of this discussion with uh, personal separation. Mm-hmm. Um, although we probably should acknowledge that is an area where there are certain principles in Scripture that are very, very clear-cut. Right. And then there are lots and lots of questions pertaining to personal separation and holiness where there's some room for disagreement among good sure. faith, uh, you, know, you know, brothers and sisters. Right. Based on your maturity, based on you know, your weaknesses, your personal susceptibility to sin. Mm-hmm. Again, personal separation, obviously meaning a believer not pursuing marriage or marrying an unbeliever. Uh, personal separation, meaning that uh, you're, you're called out from the world, you're still in the world, but you're distinct from the world in, in how you live and how you're holy right. and how you talk and how you respond to the problems of life. And that has a direct parallel to ecclesiastical separation Correct. in that for both of those concerns, uh, the, the the baseline is the holiness of God. Right. The, the the goal is maintaining purity and uh, and remaining true to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we should point out that, and, and you used this term earlier, apostasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, ecclesiastical separation, as it's historically been understood, certainly within regular Baptist thought, is concerned primarily with apostasy, mm-hmm. not just a difference in doctrinal distinctives. Right. Uh, now, I, I would qualify that by saying it, it is true that, practically speaking, your churches generally are not going to and probably should not you know, overly associate fellowship or cooperate with other churches that don't share their doctrinal distinctives, right? right? And right. that, to me, seems as much a, a practical matter as a doctrinal one. Right. Uh, you know, the, a Baptist church is not going to share a Presbyterian church's views on Sprinkling babies, for example, right, right. even if they're agreed on the fundamentals of the faith. Right. So in that case, you're probably not going to have a real robust cooperation or fellowship between the two, even though that wouldn't technically, in my opinion, fall under the rubric of biblical separation. Mm-hmm. When we use the S word, <laughs> separation, yeah. we're talking about apostasy, right. such as the JRBC coming out of the Northern Baptist Convention, right. Clear-cut cases of doctrinal defection from the fundamentals of the faith, not just some differences in doctrinal distinctives right. here and there. Is that, is that a fair way of putting it? I, I think so. And, and a way to flesh that out practically would be, so your church, you have to ask some hard questions. Mm-hmm. What can we do with other churches in, in those endeavors in a way that doesn't compromise where we stand doctrinally? So here's here's an example from my own life. Uh, pastor in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, we had a pastor in town. I could never in clear conscience join his church, nor could he ever in clear conscience join my church. Uh, I think, especially in some areas in in regards to biblical interpretation, uh, understanding biblical baptism, Mm -hmm. he was flat out inaccurate. But I love this man. He was a great guy. He He was a believer, and we enjoyed personal fellowship together. But it would not be possible biblically to have ecclesiastical Sure. Uh, fellowship together. And that's simply because of our church as a whole, where we stood, what we believed, what we embraced about the gospel and biblical doctrine. It would not have been wise, nor would it have helped us in the discipleship process to lock arms with them. Sure. So, so there's a case of a, a limitation of fellowship that's taking place on the institutional right. level. But you could sit down with this guy and, and, and have mm-hmm. sweet interpersonal fellowship mm-hmm. and, and, and have coffee together and pray together and uh, and not have a violation of conscience. Absolutely, yeah. Because he himself was not apostate, no. even though there were doctrinal distinctives. Right, 
Right. And we did enjoy sweet fellowship. Sure. sure. Um, another example would be you, you could have a, a group from your church go down to take part in, let's say, an anti-abortion demonstration, a March for Life or something mm-hmm. like this, in which case you would be marching right alongside, let's say, Mormons, Roman Catholics, those whom we would perceive as holding to a false, aberrant teaching on all sorts of things pertaining to the fundamentals of the faith. And that would not violate biblical distinctives in, in, in terms of separation. However, at the end of the march, you're not going to turn to the Mormon guy and say, hey, why don't you come preach in my church? Right. Why don't we do a pulpit exchange? Sure. <laughs> Institutional separation doesn't necessarily rule out uh, you know, doing things together on a personal level, uh, depending on what the goal is, what the purpose is, what the context is. Um, but it does rule out institutional association, cooperation, and, and that level of fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ecclesiastical separation doesn't mean that you never have anything to do with apostates or unbelievers. You know, you, 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 could almost, you could take it to an illogical extreme and just kind of become like the Amish. Okay, well, we're just going to form our own little sort of right. insulated groups and uh, so that we are never sullied by unbelievers. We'll just never come into contact with them. And you'll never reach the law. Right? <laughs> exactly <clears throat> right. That. And the same thing, those people are welcome in your church. Sure. You want them to come and hear the word and hear the gospel. First Corinthians 5 is really clear on that. Yeah. That, you know, if, if you don't associate with them, you're, you're never really going to reach them. And God is not calling us not to have any association with the world. That'd be unhealthy, and you'll never make disciples that way. So, no, it, it's not talking about that at all. It's, it's limited fellowship. So while you have a relationship with them, you do not have koinonia. You don't have fellowship with them. You don't share life. That's right. With them. And that's where Baptist distinctives become very, very important, specifically regenerate church membership. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I hope, I desperately hope that the unsaved will come into our churches and right. hear the gospel and sit under the preaching of the word. But until there's a credible profession of faith Amen. and an outward demonstration of that through baptism by immersion, we don't permit them to become official members of the church. Right. And that, to me, would be a very clear example of... Right the principle of biblical separation uh, in practice. Then there's this other issue, kind of, kind of the elephant in the room, I guess, among separatists, of secondary separation. What do we mean when we talk about secondary sure. separation, Mike? Yeah, an easy way to define that would be, okay, so primarily you separate from apostates, and then you would separate from those who knowingly, knowingly encourage, elevate, promote, or lock arms with apostates. Even though they themselves may Even not be. Even though they themselves love the Lord, are right, right. on the gospel, right. and are doctrinally pure, but they're locking arms with those who are not. This is, again, this goes back to the glory of God, and it goes back to discipleship. The, the greatest example would be <clears throat> a dear Christian man who loved the Lord, and I believe um, is in glory right now, and God used him in a great way. But the key case study of the 20th century was Billy was Graham. Billy Graham. Of course. And we're not questioning his motives or, sure. or impugning them. Exactly. And, you know, we, we did an issue of the Baptist Bulletin about exactly. Billy Graham when, when he passed away in which we said, you know, we as a movement had disagreements with right. this man, but we do not deny that God used him to bring right. untold multitudes to Christ. So, so we can celebrate that and be grateful for the impact that he had. Mm-hmm. And yet we, as, as a movement, as regular Baptists, and, and, and even more broadly, the, the fundamentalist right. movement, felt the need to practice secondary separation right. with Billy Graham 
because of this issue of ecumenical evangelism right. and secondary separation. We gave honor to whom honor was due. But the discipleship issue there was always this, that one would go to a crusade, praise God. They'd mm-hmm. hear the gospel, praise God. Christ was preached. We give glory to God for that. Uh, Billy Graham gave some of the clearest gospel presentations you would hear at the Crusades. Sure. The, the problem, and here's where the case study of practical secondary separation comes in, is those converts were sent back to bad churches, right. to liberal churches that did not preach the gospel, that denied the Bible. You cannot be discipled well in churches like that. That's right. So therefore you cannot promote that because you care about people growing and changing into the image of Christ. So therefore, you cannot in clear conscience promote that. And so you have to go back to this term. You have to limit your fellowship there. Mm -hmm. While not impugning the integrity or the motives of another person, you love them in the Lord. You praise God for them. And on a personal level, you'd probably enjoy great fellowship. But as far as discipleship goes, this is really the primary task of the local church is to see people and equip them to become more like Christ, that's not going to happen in a quote-unquote apostate church. That's right. And, and, and I would make the case, even if Billy Graham hadn't sent converts back to those liberal apostate churches, simply by having representatives of those churches on the platform, mm-hmm. simply by having them up there, uh, and you're talking about people that adhered to Protestant liberal theology, right. clearly apostate, as well as Roman Catholics in some in some cases, I would argue that in and of itself was probably sufficient right. to, to make the case for secondary separation. Yes. Because and, of what you're promoting and, and, and the, the image that you're projecting to both the saved and the unsaved world. Right. That these are our brothers in Christ, and, uh, and, and that simply is not the case. Right. And we're not questioning the motives of, of, of a Billy Graham. We're questioning discernment mm-hmm. and wisdom there, which clearly it, it does not uh, jive with... Uh, Galatians 1, 8, and 9, because those individuals there on the platform were not preaching Galatians right. 1, 8, and 9, the, the pure gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. So, again, that matters. And, and again, pragmatically, the ends do not justify the means. And typically, when you heard defenses of ecumenical evangelism, it was always made on a pragmatic right. basis. Well, look at all the wonderful things that are happening. Okay. Great. Like we said, right. we're, we're, we're grateful for some of those, those those wonderful things that happened. People came to know the Lord, sure. But that does not justify using an unbiblical, right. an unbiblical means to achieve a biblical goal. And our methodology matters to God. Mm-hmm. And the methodology has to be used for the glory of God. So we have to ask, does this bring glory to God? So let's take a more recent case study. And again, we want to, to frame the issue carefully uh, that we have no desire to impugn anybody uh, or to, to, to throw anybody under the bus or to, or to speak uh, in overly derogatory, an overly derogatory manner about anyone. But let's talk about Francis Chan. Here's a guy that uh, basically is solid doctrinally. You and I would have some doctrinal disagreements yeah. with him in, mm-hmm. in certain areas. But as far as the fundamentals of the faith go, we would consider him to be a brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. And has accomplished many good things Mm -hmm. for the sake of the gospel, no question. But in recent days has chosen to associate with people that are clearly, in my opinion, apostate. Mm -hmm. I I don't think there's any question that a Benny Hinn or a Todd White 
are using the New Testament nomenclature, false teachers. Right. They are proclaiming yeah. another Jesus, another gospel, which is not a way to salvation. And so when Francis Chan began associating with these guys, going to their meetings, uh, taking selfies with them and, and sending it out over social media, that created a bit of a firestorm of controversy, didn't it? And, and brought to the forefront again this matter of ecclesiastical separation and secondary separation. Right. And, and we say this with grieved hearts. Sure. We, we say this with, with hearts that, you know, have love for a brother in Christ. I don't know him personally. But understanding, we bring this up because we believe this brings harm to the gospel. So those who really admire a Francis Chan and, and might have good reason to do so, and those who have been helped by his ministry will see that and think, okay, well, he's there calling a Todd White a bold man of God. Which, which essentially is harmful, yeah. okay? Because he, again, it's the Romans sixteen seventeen principle there. What that's going to do, and it goes back to glory of God and discipleship. No one in their right mind would ever responsibly say, I would want somebody in my church discipled by Benny Hinn's ministry. <laughs> Nobody right. would ever say that. That would be completely harmful. There's a misunderstanding about the character of God, a misunderstanding of the gospel, a misunderstanding of the grace of God. And again, a complete misunderstanding of how God deals with his children, saying, you know, he wants you to always be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's right. To to say nothing of the many false prophecies that have come out of his his teaching ministry over the years, which scripture is is, is quite clear what we are to do when we hear false prophecies. Uh, You you, you do not regard those people, those men, those teachers as as, as brothers. Right. So that, that one is just clear as day. As is an example of the term that many cringe at, the whole issue of secondary separation. But I would also make the case, everybody practices that to some extent mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. truly believes a biblically faithful gospel. That's right. Everyone does. It, it just doesn't, we don't all agree as to the extent of that. Or where the lines should be drawn. Where the lines should be drawn, correct. But to some degree, we're all going to practice biblical separation. Exactly. And and, and that is kind of the, 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 the major touchstone distinction between the fundamentalist movement and the evangelical, or what used to be called the neo-evangelical movement, right? Right. right. And uh, it is a very interesting exchange between Kevin Bowder and Al Mohler in Zondervan's book on the spectrum of evangelicalism, where here you're talking about two guys, Kevin Bowder, a fundamentalist, Al Mohler, a confessional evangelical, who would agree right down the line on the fundamentals of the faith Mm -hmm. and on many points of of doctrinal distinctives as well. Not all. There's going to be some disagreements there. But but basically you're talking about guys who are in lockstep Mm -hmm. doctrinally, in lockstep when it comes to the gospel. Where there's some disagreement is how far does the principle of biblical separation go? Right. That, that is an excellent book that uh, I, I believe every pastor or those in church leadership should read. And uh, when you read a Kevin Bodder and an Al Mohler, they're almost identically on the same page. This is my takeaway from it, I, sure. and I could be reading it wrong. But the difference I see is when they would have separated from a Billy Graham. Sure. Mohler makes it clear he would have. Eventually. Eventually. He'd have gotten there. So he, he practices biblical separation, so, so too. So he does, too. Yeah. Okay, so in fairness, it's there as well. Yeah. And the other one would be when they would have separated maybe from a major convention. Now, I sure. would argue this. Moeller's case within the SBC, it was not as extreme as our case within the Northern Baptist Convention. 
it was there. The liberalism was there, but it wasn't quite as rampant as ours was in the Northern Baptist Convention. But that's neither here nor there. But you find there that they're almost lockstep in a lot of different ways. Now, the two other authors are, are just completely in a different <laughs> spectrum, stratosphere, yeah. than, than Moeller and Bowder would have been. That's right. But, but And again, we're referring to the book, The Spectrum of Evangelicalism, right, which is one of those counterpoints views where there's four authors that are each presenting a different view on right. what constitutes evangelicalism. Correct. So, yeah. And I think uh, Dr. Bowder lays out in there a very credible and biblical case for secondary separation and why it is important. But again, the motive behind all of it is the glory of God and discipleship. That's right. Seeing people grow and change into the image of Christ. This is in the Bible. Yes. It's in scripture. So if it's in if it's in scripture, we as those who take scripture seriously, we don't want to run from this. We want to look and let's examine what does scripture teach about this and let's teach it in a very biblical way, letting the text control the conversation. Let me circle back to Francis Chan for, for a moment. In, in his sort, he recently put out a response to the criticisms he was getting. And uh, in my opinion, there, there are some issues with, with the response that he put out. Let me, let me read one sentence here. He, he says, I recognize now more than ever that sometimes my per- participation can give the impression that I align with every other speaker at the event. I'm not sure what to do about that other than to tell you that I don't. It's, it's an interesting statement, and it, it raises this question. Is it necessarily wrong for a faithful proclaimer, teacher, preacher of the gospel to speak at an event put on by uh, those who teach false doctrine? Is, is that necessarily wrong in all cases? I'm not sure it always would be, and, and as an example of someone doing that correctly, I would point to Ravi Zacharias speaking at Brigham Young University, sure. uh, where he felt by going into a, a sphere, an environment where the gospel is not being faithfully proclaimed, I can raise up a bold banner for the gospel and, and, and preach it in its purity and, uh, and challenge the false teaching that's going on. The difference is Ravi was really, really clear up front. Right. When he went in there, exactly. that he he was not going to compromise his position, and that he did not regard Brigham Young University as a, a center of faithful gospel preaching. Right. You don't have that with Francis Chan. Nor and did these... he call the Mormon prophet a bold <laughs> Right. Exactly. And so there, there exactly. is a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Like a huge I, difference. Absolutely. And 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 that's where I would take major issue with Francis Chan. The way that he went about doing these things gave off the impression. That uh, that he had he did not take issue with the false teaching and right. preaching that characterizes those those ministries, and you've just got to be so clear about those kind of things, um, lest you give off a wrong impression and encourage people to pursue teaching that is not only unhealthy, but in some cases incredibly harmful yeah. to the gospel and to biblical fidelity. At the end of his statement, he he, he made a comment that. Uh, Sounds very familiar to those of us that have been separatists over the years, because we hear we hear the U word thrown around all the time. Unity. Well, we, we, Jesus yeah. wants us to be unified, and Jesus does want us to be unified. Francis says, what, "Well, one final thought: we should all be careful to guard against false teaching of any kind. In the process of refuting false teachers, however, we can unintentionally falsely accuse good teachers." Mm-hmm. That might be equally harmful to his kingdom. Okay, you and I would probably quibble with the use of the word kingdom right. there, but set that aside for a moment. <laughs> God desires unity in his body, so it is no small crime to bring division into the church. That's true, with an asterisk. Right. <laughs> unity is important. However, unity 
defined by the New Testament, has sound doctrine as its anchor and its pillar and its foundation. And you do not have unity without the grounds of unity. So it's the grounds of unity that determine the unity we have as believers. So the grounds of unity is not just let's all get along. The grounds of unity has to be doctrine. That's right. You cannot have that with false teachers. And I would turn to a passage like Ephesians 4 to make that case where where Paul gives a very explicit call for Christian unity among the church. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Mm -hmm. That sounds great, doesn't it? Yes. But then keep reading. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Doctrinal expressions there. So, so, so the basis of our unity is doctrinal in nature. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that we just separate from everybody who disagrees with us on every minor point right. of doctrine. But notice those things that Paul is elevating there in Ephesians 4 pertain to the fundamentals of the faith. Right. Such right. that when you have apostasy, when you have false teaching, false teachers, false prophets, you cannot cultivate unity right. with them on an ecclesiastical level, on an institutional level. And still remain faithful to New Testament biblical Christianity. Sure. And that, that ties in with this. And, and David, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, this is a little bit more difficult to articulate than it was in 1932. That's and true. to facilitate this conversation with a number of believers is, is very difficult and presents a number of nuances and challenges. We recognize that. I also recognize this has gotten a bad rap in the right. past 20 years, in particular, among our group. And, and we want to be able to talk about this in a way where we're not beating each other up, we're not tearing each other down, but that we understand where we're coming from. That's why a podcast like this is important. So not just so we control the narrative on it, but to, to articulate biblically where we're coming from. And hopefully not in a vitriolic manner. Right. We never because wanted, yeah. I think some of what you're alluding to is the baggage that, right. that separatism and especially fundamentalist separatism has accrued over the years. It's And sometimes our representatives were partially to blame simply because of the fact that passions got heated. Mm-hmm. Uh, hyperbolic language at times was used that probably was not helpful to the conversation. Right. And that's why we're, we're careful to say that we, we, we don't want to go into this, especially in matters of secondary separation, by questioning motives, by putting down others who, who are solid in their faith. Right. Uh, nevertheless, we do see a very biblical command to separate, not only from apostasy, but also from those right. who are not themselves separated from apostasy. So can we communicate that in a winsome manner uh, without just throwing bombs all right. over the place? right. And, and at the same time, you know, what we rally around as an association is an Articles of Faith. It's a doctrinal statement. Yeah. That's what we rally around. So in order for us to be pure as an association, from time to time, we have to wrestle with some things that we see, some theological issues coming to the forefront that we see as kind of threats to the church, right. threats to doctrine. And biblically, we're to expose that. We, we don't have to be mad and angry and grumpy about it when we do that, but we do have to be bold. That's right. We have to be bold and yet loving at the same time. And so that's why we have to be careful about saying things like, well, just preach the gospel. And it doesn't matter who you do that with. As long well, as you're using the name of Jesus, everything's right. good. Well, and the problem with that, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormon who knock on your door would say the same thing. That's right. And, that's right. And, and so that's why this matters. 
some recommended books, David, you mentioned uh, Ernest Pickering's book from years ago. It was updated in 2008 by Regular Baptist Press, Biblical right. Separation. Uh, I would highly recommend that. I would also highly recommend uh, another book published by Regular Baptist Press to understand just the functionality of a, of a local church. I think this should, as far as books on ecclesiology, this should be a go-to book for you. It would be uh, Kevin Bowder's book. On Baptist distinctives, Baptist distinctives super and New Testament church order. That's right. That is a very uh, good book. And and, the, and there's a direct tie-in, as we said, between understanding biblical separation and understanding the Baptist distinctives. They right. they, they really do dovetail in a number of points. And, and then the last one I'd recommend that you get, which would be a fascinating read for you, uh, four views on the spectrum of spectrum of evangelicalism. Uh, Andrew Nicelli and Colin Hansen were the editors who really understand uh, where we're coming from because they right. kind of have. A, I know Andrew Nicelli has a background in, in with us, and then also um, the contributors Kevin Bowder, Al Moeller, and then the other two, John Stackhouse and Roger Olson. I don't think many who listen to this podcast would agree with those two. But it's still fascinating to read it where is. they're coming from right. and and to see how they interact with guys. Like Bowder and Muller, right? Who who would be kind of more in our camp? Correct, right? And and I think you'll really appreciate the give and take and the back and forth from a Doctor Bowder and a Doctor Muller on that. I found it to be very encouraging. I found it to be very articulate, and it helped me when this first came out years ago. It helped me flesh through some of these things and understand this is important, and it's important we talk about it. And it's important that we not ignore this 800-pound gorilla in the room. It, it's right. there. We've, we've got to talk about this. And more importantly, it's there in the biblical text. So we have to flesh that out, more importantly, for God's glory. That's right. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. And whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Hopefully that's where we can all come down. Amen. All right. That wraps it up for us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, David. And thank you, listeners. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. The regular Baptist network of ministries exists to make disciples through healthy local churches. If you like this podcast, subscribe to your podcast platform of choice. You can find out more about our ministries at garbc.org and follow Regular Baptist Ministries on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.